There tis, shouted my father, finger arrowed dead ahead through the dusty, vibrating windshield of the land cruiser. So it was. Isla Viernes Dulce sat in a sea of gold as we rounded a last curve of the trail. Beefy, deep-notched tires throwing sand. The Toyota crashed along like a fast bulldozer, front wheels pounding carelessly. I looked at Sweet Friday Island through the powdery glaze of dust. From far away, it was mysterious, but inviting, a mound of gray-blue on the horizon. Not much sugary about it. Beyond it, and to the south, was the brownish-white tip of Roca Consac, ship rock. Farther on south were other islands, some with red and black lava tongues, according to the guidebooks. Black volcanic craters sat in many of the islands, clashing with the white of salt flats below. Generally, we knew what was down there, but hadn't specifically checked out the others. Waste of time, we thought, since we'd settled on Sweet Friday. Awful small, I said. We're thirty miles from it. Where do you get close? He was grinning widely with anticipation. Turning sharp south, we began to bump on down to Boca de Congrejo, Mouth of the Crab, a little village that most Mexican maps ignored. It sat on a quarter mile of beach, sand rising gently to the few meager houses. Shacks, really. I counted eight. Finally, we drew up in front of the cantina, the village store. The Cortez Shore Guide, our Bible, said the store had limited supplies for fishermen and was operated by a man named Raul Clemente. A gas pump hung its broken head in the sun directly in front of the cantina, and I saw that it was sitting on concrete blocks, hooked to nothing, totally useless. We didn't need gas anyway. Peering around, my father said, Not New York City, is it? Hardly, though I'd never been to NYC. But Boca de Congrejo finally acknowledged us with dog yelps and a few cautious children with thin legs and tentative toes coming out of sagging doorways, moving into the single street, just a vague space, keeping a bashful distance. I said hello to them. They didn't answer, just stared. Women moved out into the sapphire light, stony-faced but probably not meaning to be, At the far end of the houses, a chubby, straw-hatted man stood by an outboard motor on a wooden stand. He studied us briefly, then bent again. Between the houses and the high tide mark, a few fishing skiffs were pulled up at this hour. Now, over low mud flats and glistening sandbars and thin pools of water, the glassy Cortez was lapping inward. An onshore breeze picked up the damp smell and socked it to the village. Is this really picturesque? asked my father, eyebrows raised. The guidebook had described it that way. I guess. I wasn't really concerned about the village, only about the island. At sea level, it looked so very far away, and I wondered how our fabric boat would do on the trip out. A man who might have been forty, or abouts, had suddenly filled the doorway of the cantina to examine us, 
though not with unfriendliness. There was an animal's curiosity in his eyes. Skin reddish-brown, hair shiny black, precisely cut and precisely combed. He was rather tall and thin, crisp jeans going up his legs from cowboy boots. White shirt spotless. He was an immaculate man. Even his boots were mirrored with polish. Was this Raoul Clemente? He was handsome. My father got out of the Toyota, removing the pipe from his teeth. Buenos dias, senor. I alighted, too, feeling alien here. My father went on in pigeon Spanish. That's a rough trail back there. Muy malo. I knew that meant very bad. The tall man nodded. Behind him, the cantina was like a cave, appearing dark and cool in its depths.